Well, welcome to The Journey. My name is Kevin Polkey, and I am uh, the host of The Journey. And today I have a special guest. Um, actually, this is uh, uh, our guest has been on the show before. We went back into the archives and looked back, and it was September 1st of 2019, episodes 34, when Scott Lemke, our guest for today, was on the show. And uh, as we're going to find out, there's been a couple things that have transpired in his life since then. Um but uh, yeah. let's 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 welcome Scott. Scott, thank you for being here. Uh, I know that this is a one of those days, the first uh, potentially first big snow of of the would not only of the year of 2024, but of the winter of 23-24 in the the Greater Rockford area. And I know that uh, you've been busy since early this morning getting ready for that and trying to prepare for that. But uh, and it happens to be your birthday, so uh, yes. ha happy <laughs> birthday and uh, thanks for spending a little bit. Of your birthday with us today so uh so scott well and just to want to have you back to the show and i just wanted to kind of you know uh re-engage our audience to to who who you are where you're where you where were you born raised uh where did you grow up and all that and and um but before we jump into all that uh when scott has the opportunity to have fun what do, what do you do for fun um i started racing again oh. so uh my five year on my five-year anniversary my five years sober anniversary. Um, I had talked to Kenzie, my daughter, um, and she's got basketball and volleyball and her athletics and stuff, but I wanted to do something for my five year and she wanted to see me racing again. And so she said, do something for yourself. So I got a hold of some old friends, um, Vaughn, who's Jeff Larson, who I raced with for 20 years before uh, the alcohol took over. And him and I got a car together and I said, I'm just going to be low key. I'm not going to do too much. Um, you know, I'm not going to spend a whole bunch of money. And him and I got a car from East Moline and um, we raced about 20, 24 races that first year. Okay. And so we did all right. Um, it's a whole different ball game than it was before. And um, I haven't been in a race car in 20 years. So it, uh, we won some heat races, won some B mains. Uh, we got faster as the year went on and then I got the bug again. So I'm actually at the shop right now because I've been plowing and salting all morning and my race car, my new one is sitting right next to me to the left-hand side. So, so much for not getting too back into it, not, <laughs> not spending a bunch of money. <laughs> sure, sure. So, so, and, and for our audience, what, what type of, uh, there's a lot of different types of, uh, racing that, that, that are out there. What kind of, what kind of model, what kind of racing are you doing? And maybe kind of explain a little bit of that. It's a IMCA dirt modified. So you run 604 crates, everything around here now is IMCA. Um, there's stock rules for it. It's a 604 crate. You got to have, um, stock stub. It's, it's just, uh, they're trying to keep the price down. It doesn't work because everybody's trying to outdo each other, but um, it's a really neat class because everybody's supposed to be even. So it goes back to the driver, a lot to the driver. Instead of having big motors and spend a bunch of money on the bigger motors like we used to and having a whole bunch of horsepower, and that horsepower helped you out and took away some of the driving. These are all about the driver and the tires are slicker, but it's an IMC modif um, open wheel modified. They're from Davenport, uh, Dubuque, Darlington, Wisconsin, East Moline. So it's all over the Iowa and Wisconsin area. There's nothing local around Rockford, but um it's a it's a blast. So mm -hmm. it's 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 a lot of fun. 
Nice. Good deal. So, and you, I'm sorry, and you'd been, you, you got back into racing how long ago when, when your daughter was kind of encouraging to get back into it? So I got back in, I got back into racing. So it'd be my five year anniversary. So it'd be last year. It'd be 2020, well, 2022 is when I got back in it. Gotcha. Um, and then that was the first time I've stepped into race cars since 2000, <laughs> 2008, 2009. So it was uh, something to get used to again. I bet. I bet. So, um, so, so Scott, why don't you kind of just bring us up to speed a little bit about for the audience to kind of where, you know, where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to high school? Uh, what was life like growing up and, and kind of give us a little bit of your backstory uh, family wise and stuff like that. So uh, I'm from Rockford, Illinois. Uh, I have a sister and a brother. Um, they're both older than I am. My brother's six years older. My sister is, I believe, nine years older than I am. Uh, we grew up in Rockford, um, right outside New Melford. Uh, I spent a lot of time with my grandma and grandpa growing up. Um, and a lot of athletics, a lot of sports, a lot of racing. Um, as the first episode, you and I talked about, my mom raced at Speedway in 79, 80, 81. So it was, uh, we were tight, but family issues and um, our father left us at a real young age. So mom was raising three kids by herself. Um, and we were doing the best we could. It was on the struggle bus for a long time. Um, mom was trying to get us out of that. And we were doing a lot as kids. We were trying to help mom out. And it just, it was a long road watching her go through, go through what she went through. And it affected us more than what we, what we thought, especially me. I just, uh, I had a hard time dealing with it. Mm. So, but just a normal, normal growing up, we just, a lot of wrestling, football, baseball, basketball, and then going down to grandma's, a lot of fishing, motorcycles, going to the races and going camping with grandma and grandpa. That's where mm. I spent most of my time was down there right outside New Melford. They had a little three acre gentleman farm. Mm. So grandma and grandpa built a house and, that's where they lived um, until they both passed away. Gotcha. You know, it's interesting. And and I don't know if this was the impact that you had, but I was just recently talking to someone about, uh, you know, later in life, recognizing the impact of some of his experiences growing up. And in one of the things that he talked about is certain setbacks that he had early on that he kind of just, compartmentalized just kind of like boxed him up and didn't really deal with him because he felt like you know his his parent was going through more than he was and so he was yeah. trying to be there to support his parent and so then it just that that incident that situation that setback it just got put into a box and and never really got looked at until decades later when the, as we talk about it in counseling it was a it had a cumulative effect of of some of these uh some of these traumas and and the box wasn't strong enough to hold it in anymore right and that's that's exactly true and you try to you you're trying to a lot of the times i was just trying to stay out of the way you know trying to make sure that mom wasn't worried about me and i was just trying to stay out of the way and as time went on and i wasn't dealing with you know, Lyle leaving and that was my father, Lyle leaving and trying just to find my own path and not follow my brother and not follow my sister and not dealing with anything. 
as I got older, it got worse. And fast forward, you know, 30 years and me going through what I went through uh, with the alcohol and the addiction, I'm seeing a little bit that my daughter now that, I mean, I've spent six years trying to make up for what I've done in the past. And some of it I've done wrong. Some of it I tried to do with money. Some of it I tried to do, you know, just trying to spoil her rotten and give her things, which is the wrong thing to do. Um, but the best part of it is, is that now I'm seeing what she's going through as a freshman in high school. And I'm seeing the signs of it that I went through. So getting her through that in her own journey and her own path has helped a lot. And being sober and being a father and being there for her and being able to navigate through it with her has been a huge, huge plus in her and I's relationship to go through this together. Sure. And, and I think there is, you know, there's, there's an element to that and we're seeing more and more uh, in the, in the, in the professional world that people are being hired specifically in the front line who have their own who've had their own life experiences. They may not necessarily have the, the degrees, but, um, or the licensure or whatever, but they have life experience that allows if, if done correctly, allows them to have a certain level of empathy in, in those settings and they can see, see more now sometimes, right. Life experience, it causes the opposite to happen, right. We're so hypervigilant and hypersensitive that we don't want our child to go through the same experience we did that we bubble wrap them so tight that they, they, they can't breathe and it backfires on us. Um, right. But if, if, we are walking our own journey and being cognizant of everything that's happening. We can, we can walk with them and not have to, um, uh, not have to dictate what the journey is. So, um, so I, I think that, you know, you know, it all had, you know, as we've said before this, you know, we're able to utilize when we're able to utilize our experiences to help other people. Um, that is, I think, then were some of the setbacks and the pain that we've gone through. Right. But you still had to let them fail. Yeah. That's because I, early on, I had her in the bubble wrap and it got to the point where I wasn't doing her any justice and I wasn't doing her any good. So that's the hard part because in sobriety, they tell you it's one day at a time and it's one hour at a time and you're focused on saying sober two, three years into it. Now you got to start dealing with your emotions and you got to start dealing with everything that goes along with it. They don't tell you that in the beginning. They kind of just, that kind of just comes upon itself. And for me, I mean, before I wasn't very sensitive. I mean, I was sensitive to a point, but as I got sober and as my family tells me, I grew more and more and more sensitive to everything around me and to, especially my daughter, but to when we talk about my past or talk about anything else, I was sensitive to it five years come five years that started to go away a little bit because you start thinking to yourself, I've, I've done my time. I've done everything. I've made my amends. I have, you know, paid back everybody that I owed money to, you know, I've stood face to face with the people that I lied to and that I, that I wronged. And they said what they had to say. Some were good. Some, you know, you left there thinking I could have done without that, (laughs) but you got to think of their point of view too. You know, they needed that. 
So they needed to get that off their chest so they could move on and they can move forward, especially with family. So yes, you're completely right when you say you put them in a bubble and you've got, but you've got to let them fail. You've mm-hmm. got to let them walk their own path because they still have to li- learn their life lessons and not just what you tell them right. because they're not learning anything. They're just hearing what you say. And it makes them better people in the end too. It makes them stronger. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And, and yes, we can definitely learn vicariously, right. You know, learn through someone else's experience. And, but those lessons, though valuable may not necessarily be those life changing, uh, you know, things that we hang on to. And, and that, you know, ends up being, like you said, you know, our, our own setbacks, our own mistakes that we have to then figure out how do we correct and how do we move through those things. Ultimately, that's all part of, uh, you know, all part of the developing and growing process. It's interesting, right? As a, as a, as a father, somehow we figure out that when the, when the toddler is learning how to walk, we somehow are, accept the fact that they're going to stumble and fall and they're not going to get it right right correctly and then and then and and then it moves to you know as they're learning to tie their shoes you know we we have to choose not to tie it for them even though it'd be faster it'd be more effective it would be more efficient um or we're going to still be tying their shoes when they're 18 years old so i mean i think you know when they're babies and toddlers we somehow give ourselves permission to support and just create space for them as they get older, either because of our own stuff or because like you say, uh, not wanting them to be in pain. Uh, we end up stepping in there and uh, sometimes delay the de- delay, the the development process or the growth process. Right. And that's, and that's, that's, that couldn't be more true. And that's a lot of what we're going to now is the maturity level of it and maturing a little bit slower be due to the fact that I was so, I was trying to protect her from everything. And, but as a freshman, she's, she's maturing above her years. And she's, uh, I mean, she's just, a, she's turning into just a great young lady. It wasn't easy. And it wasn't, especially on my part, because I had to deal with trying to get her there, but taking my lumps as well for her to be able to do that and for her to be able to move on. So it's, it's a hard spot being, a, it, it, there's no book. There's no nothing to tell you how to do it or when to do it or how to make it to, for them to cry is the worst thing in the world. And I never want it to happen. I try to fix it, but at times it's just, you got to step back and let them cry mm-hmm. and it's brutal, but I'm still dealing with my own stuff and trying to let her deal with hers. And you just gotta, you've got to find a fine line where it's not smothering and you're not being a helicopter dad as well as kind of staying 10 feet back and making sure she's protected. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, yeah, I think, you know, uh, I think it definitely is because of, like you said, if there was a book written about it, it'd be outdated by the time we got the copy of it. And, <laughs> yes, uh, it would. And, yes. and, and, and it would have been written for some other child that isn't yours because your child, Mackenzie is she's her own person. And, and so it's, I think it's really more about that art of parenting than it ever is a science of parenting. Um, so yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. I, my, my oldest will be 28 next month and my, my youngest will be is, is 25 and a half. And, and yes, that is a, it's a, it's a much, 
I used to say, and, and I still believe this is that every stage is the best stage um, because it was just, <laughs> you know, because it was, it, it was, it was always just something new and exciting to be able to, to be with them and watch them grow. And now that they're starting their own families and, you know, they have careers and stuff like that. It's uh, uh, and, and, and so now, you know, Diane and I, you know, we're, 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 you know, over the last couple of years, we're starting a life that, you know, that prior to this had been always focused on, you know, on the kids. And, and now it is uh, for us to have some of our own uh, adventures. So that's, that's been a, another phase to go through. So. Yeah, exactly. Right. And, and we're on the basketball stage right now. So okay. we're, she's committed a hundred percent. She's doing amazing. She's finding her own showcases, finding her own, you know, finding her own path and doing it on her own. And I just get, I'm the lucky one that gets to be along for the ride. So that travel, that travel time to Wisconsin and Iowa and doing the showcases with her, I could care less what happens at the showcases. It's that one-on-one time her and I get to travel and spend the night in a hotel and do the, you know, jack around and have, just have a great time together and make memories that we'll never have again. Yeah. Yeah that's that's dad's part of it yeah but it's always nice to see her do well which she's been doing like i said she puts the work in so and she's determined and she's focused so i couldn't ask for anything more having that time with her so we're in the basketball stage i'm sure we're going to go into some other stages but i'm just kind of enjoying this ride right now <laughs> nice nice good deal so uh so so scott kind of tell you know you you now you're coming up on six years of sobriety, right? And and I know when we talked a few years ago, we you talked about just just kind of getting into um, recovery and and had had gone back and forth with you know some attempting to be substance free, but but it, it but it 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 switched when we talked about recovery and and for you, what what would you say? for individuals that may not be familiar with the difference between someone being substance free from whatever it is, alcohol, drugs, whatever that is, um, or we call it sobriety to what we refer to as recovery. What, what, how would you describe today, six years into it? What, how would you describe the difference? No, the biggest difference between staying clean of sobriety and recovery is you have to deal with your emotions getting sober <clears throat> you don't have you can't drink you can't do drugs you got to stay you got to change your lifestyle and after after time when you get used to it and you're focused on something else <clears throat> it doesn't go away but it, it comes a little easier the longer it goes you're focused on whether it's work whether it's your daughter or your son <clears throat> whatever you're focused on it becomes something that you still think about in the back of your head, but you're not focused on it. Recovery, you're dealing with your own emotions. You're dealing with what's making you happy, what makes you happy. You've put it aside for so long that you don't know how to do it. And it's getting back into being able to go out to a restaurant and being around people and being with people surrounding you and being able to go to have dinner with family and being around alcohol and the social part of it, which I didn't think was going to be as hard as it was, the social aspect to put yourself back out into basically, you know, living again. That to me, the recovery part there was 
that was the hardest part for me because I, I was uncomfortable being out in front of people. I didn't know who I was going to run into. I didn't know if they were going to be mad, going to be happy because you got 90% of the people, of course, want you to be sober and recover and, and to be the best you you can be. However, there's that 10% that are waiting for you to fail. They're waiting for you to, you know, so they can say, I told you so, or tell somebody else they told them so. So dealing with your emotions on that part of it, dealing with yourself and what makes you happy that you don't always have to do everything for your daughter or your wife or your family. You can take time to actually say no to something. No, I, I can't do it. I, I want to, I've got to go do something else or you're not, for me, I was working 15, 16 hours a day and then going to help family or going to do this or going to do that. So I was constantly busy or running Ken's everywhere. So, but there come a point where I was running myself ragged and I had to deal with me, which the recovery part of me, what makes me happy? What do I want to do with my life? How do I want to help other people that have the same problem that I do? And that part of it was huge. And just being somebody that, I don't know, I don't know the perfect word for it, but just putting yourself back in a social atmosphere that's not with booze, not with alcohol or not with drugs and being comfortable and being able to talk to people again and having something to talk about. It's like being a kid all over again mm -hmm. and trying to grow up. And, you know, for a lot of years I wasn't, I was immature and I was doing stupid stuff. So you actually have to, you actually have to kind of recreate yourself into I'm an adult now. And for me, that was the scariest thing in the world. I went 45 years without having to be an adult. But now it's it's the best thing ever. It's just, it's a sense of accomplishment for me. And as you and I have talked before, I go to bed every night. I every When I wake up, I've accomplished something. Not a lot of people can say that. I didn't drink. I didn't do drugs. And I'm trying to be a better person than I was yesterday. And to find racing again, to have my daughter a part of that, to have Elisa a part of that. And to, I didn't want to push it on people when I was racing. I kind of wanted just to have kind of feel it out, but I do talk a lot about my sobriety on my racing page. I, and people reach out to me with their, with their struggles and telling me that they've celebrated six months or a month or two months. And I've, I tell them, if you ever need me, I'm here. And it's people I've never met. The coolest thing, Kevin, and this was, I, I bought the car in East Moline and I went to Dubuque Nationals and that was in 22. And I didn't want to go because I wasn't ready, but I did anyway. And I got in the car and we missed the show on Friday night, missed the show on Saturday and then Sunday or Thursday night, sorry, Thursday night, missed the show, Friday night, missed the show, Saturday night, we made the show and we're sitting in the camper and it was me and my daughter and Elise and I, my brother and we were sitting in there and a guy knocks on the door and I opened the camper door and somebody I've never met before, somebody I've never seen before. I had done a interview Friday for the television because there was broadcasted and the guy that does the broadcasting knew who I was from Princeton 20 years ago. And he put it on. I talked about my sobriety and the guy seeing the video on Friday 
and came to my door and he was a fan and he was just there. And he said, that's, that was inspiring. I'm three weeks sober and I hope I can do the same thing that you're doing. And do you mind if I contact you in the future? I couldn't that there. And especially with the family being there, that was the best part of me bringing my sobriety to life and racing. You know, and I think I, I, part of your, you know, an aspect of your story, as you've told me, you know, different times is that, you know, substance and alcohol was part of it. And, and then as you recreated your life, rediscovered your life or discovered your life, right. You know, now that you have been, uh, you know, in recovery for this amount of time, that's also part of the story. And like you said, we never know who's going to be listening. We never know who's going to need to hear that part of the story. And, um, and, and not, not just, you know, the wins, but also the struggles. And like yeah. you were saying earlier about learning how to, uh, you know, because the, the 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 selling point of sobriety is that your life is going to be better, right? And you know, because if if we said your life is going to be shittier, who would sign up? You know that no <laughs> right. no one's going to sign up. <laughs> and, and it and it's true. Life is better when you're substance free. That doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be easier though. No, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. There's there you couldn't have said that better because my my coping mechanism for. I think it was going into the third year. If I couldn't deal with something, I went to sleep. So the struggles that you did, I mean, it's five o'clock at night and it's just, you can't control it. So you give it to your higher power for mine. It's God. And I just gave it to God. I said, you got to deal with this because I can't, mm -hmm. it's not, I, I don't know how I, I'm not, I'm not capable right now of doing it. So the struggle is real. The struggle does not go away, but it, it gets easier as you go along. And you find different areas on how to cope with it. And I watch a lot of a lot of your journeys, which helped me. And that's why I've been on the road that I've been doing, trying to help as many people as I can and get the word out that the struggle for the and so for me, and I've I've learned this in the last six years, and it's my thought and my opinion only, the drugs and the alcohol are a part of a horrible disease and it's it's debilitating and i get it but there's something inside of you that is not right there's something that happened to you whether it's mentally physically i mean emotionally whatever that you have to use that to deaden the pain or to weaken what you're dealing with so you can make it a day so you can you know get to the next day so you don't have to think about it or deal with that once mentally I got right and mentally I dealt with all the stuff that I dealt with as a kid and growing up and through my teen years and through my twenties and thirties, I finally realized I was masking. I was not coping with it and I was using the drugs and alcohol. So I'd forget everything, which made it worse. And I don't, can, I don't say you should do any of that, but once I dealt mentally with what I needed to, it got easier and it made me realize that, the drugs and alcohol, yes, they're a problem and they're a disease and it's and you keep using it to do it. And after a while, it becomes basically a habit. And that's why it is what it is. But you have to sit back and think, what happened to me? Well, how can I deal with me to help me not help somebody else, not to 
figure out why mom and dad are mad at me or why this person's mad at me. Figure out what's going to make you happy because that's going to make them happy. And then it just gets easier. And that's the hugest struggle that I went through. Well, you know, it's, it's, and I know, uh, especially for people who've wrestled with the idea of, of gone back and forth with, because most people who have been using for a given amount of time and, and have been identified or identify as being an addict or alcoholic, which is a more of a self-imposed label, right? Um, right. That, uh, they they have it's it's kind of like if you if if you don't want to be told what to do you don't want to go to certain institutions right you don't want to go to church you don't want to go to some place of you know worship you don't want to go to aa you don't want to do because you don't want to be told what to do because i want to do it my way the, i think the beautiful thing about the 12 steps and specifically AA, but the 12 steps is there's only one time in all those steps that it ever mentions alcohol. And that's, mm -hmm. that's the first step. The rest of it is about figuring out how to start living life on life terms. You know, yeah. all the things that you talked about, right. All the things, you know, you know, the, the first three steps, you know, we're, we're, we're just trying to figure out one, I'm not God, that someone else, something else is. And now I'm turning my will and my life, my, my thinking and my actions over something bigger than myself. That's just the first three steps. And then, right. and then we get to in the fourth and fifth step, start trying to put in order the chaos of what I've done or what's been done to me in the fourth and fifth step. And, um, but there's still more, you know, more to go on, you know, identifying what are my character defects? Well, I know for me, you know, when I talk about, you know, you know, Campbell's work of the hero's journey, which I've been doing a deeper dive into just recently, you know, that is not only is that the fourth and fifth step, but that's also when we start looking at character, we call them character defects, you know, and I think, I think we can still be renewed from those character defects, but we have to face, we have to face what is chasing us in the cave. We have to, we have to face, yeah. you know, what we may have been ignoring or we've been projecting onto someone else. If that is a tendency to people, please, uh, uh, a desire to get, affirmation or validation from others uh if that is a, a a fear of failure or you know whatever those things are you know that that time period when when we're in that vulnerable state in 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 the cave or the dark night of the soul that's when we have to face those things and we're we're not going to know what to necessarily do because that, if we knew what to do, then they wouldn't be a problem. If, if we, Correct. If, if we, if we knew how to handle, you know, a fear of failure or, uh, or whatever it may be, then it wouldn't be an issue because we would already be doing it. It would just be right. You know, choosing to do it, but you know, there is that element of you know, uh, you know. Like you said, putting yourself out there, learning how to socialize without um, the uh, a substance to help lubricate the social, you know, the the social environment, right? Um, right. Or, or making it easier, or 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 putting yourself out there in the idea of racing again. 
you know, and, and there's a, a vulnerability that you haven't been on the track in 20 years. Well, what if I suck? Well, guess what? You're probably going <laughs> to suck. <laughs> you're gonna, you're and, gonna... <laughs> and you couldn't have put that better because the first two nights out in the car, we sucked. <laughs> and I was, I mean, my quarter entry was bad. Anyway, that's some things that people won't understand. But yeah, we, I was, it was getting back in the car again. I was happy to be in the car, but I was terrible. And, you know, you get out of the car and that's, that was the best part for me is because it's like, okay, my quarter entry was terrible coming out. I'm, I'm not coming out like I want to. So let's fix the car to my driving style. No, you stop being you and get out of your way and start going back to what you know and what makes you happy. And you've done this before you've won how many championships you won, how many races it's not the car's fault. It's not, you know, somebody else's fault. It's not your crew chief's fault. Look in the mirror and figure out what you're doing wrong and fix it. And we left the car alone and I fixed me. <laughs> and then of course, Ken showed up on Saturday. The whole family was there on Saturday. And thankfully I made the show on Saturday. Um, so that was cool. But yeah. And, and that for racing for me, takes it right back to recovery. You have to deal with you. It's not your fault. It's not, I can't blame Kevin for what I'm dealing with because I don't know how to, that's not your fault. That's me because I didn't ask the question. It's not somebody else's fault that I don't know how to socialize out in public anymore. That's my fault. Cause I didn't stop and say, I should have done this earlier. I should have put myself out there. I should have leaned on my wife, Elise to put myself in a position to help me through that and to be by my side. I didn't do that. I just shut down. So that's not everybody else's fault. That's my fault. And as you had talked about before, about diving down the, the cave, the hero's cave, when you deal with your own stuff and you realize I was being an ass, so why was I being an ass? It's just not, well, I'm not going to be, an, you know, I'm not going to be a jerk today. It's not like that. Why were you being a jerk? Figure that part out of it out so you can fix it and then move forward and don't do it again. You don't put yourself in the spot. I've, I put myself out in positions to fail just so I know how to get out of it. Just so I know that I'm going to climb back out of this again. I learned from it. I'm not going to put myself in that position again. So the next time I, I face something, I am better equipped to deal with it. I have more tools in my box to be able to fix that. And there's a lot of things I can fix anything on my race car, but there's a lot of things with my daughter, with Elise, with a lot of my family members, I can't fix with tools. And that bothered me for a long time, but it's not my fault. It's not something I, it's not something I can fix. They've got to be able to fix themselves in order for we, for us to get over what, what we're dealing with. You know, I'm, I'm, doing some work right now on and i've been talking about it for a long time about the idea that that sport in in all the different types of sports right regardless if it's racing if it's you know wrestling football you know uh, you know whatever sport it is doesn't really matter some type of activity or or the arts are really just a metaphor for life it's an opportunity for us to address things that we wouldn't necessarily know how to address in a, in everyday life. But once we metaphorically, you know, 
once we can see that in this case racing right you when you just said something i think i, I want to go back and and really stress that when you got out of that first week weekend of being back in the car and you know the first tendency is let's fix the car to adapt to make it easier for me to to for for you know getting back onto the track and then somewhere along the line, right, you you paused and said, no, it's not the car. It's not the crew. It's not the conditions. I I have to get familiar again. I have to fix whatever that is me getting in the way, right? And, right. and so in, in that metaphorically is life, right? That that's that's life that you know it isn't about someone not accepting your amends it's it's about you doing your part of the street to make the amends what they do with it that's up to them right Right. and and that i mean and that isn't trying to be cold about that it's just about going what where does the responsibility lie the responsibility lies on your side of the street to clean up your side and if it happens to model or motivate someone else to clean their side up cool but you can't control that part and, right. and you know you that that will never know so so i'm interested using that idea right so so you you started back in the started back racing in 22 and and you raced in 22 then you obviously were racing in 23 um yeah. when when did you when did you notice was there a time period either in 22 or in 23 when you were in the car that it there was a flow again. There was a, that, that you got a glimpse of, of it being in a flow and you, you were able to kind of get out of Scott's way. Yes. (laughs) I can tell you the race and I can tell you when it happened. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Uh, We had, we had four races in 22. Uh, It was at the end of the year. And then we raced all at 23 and we were at Davenport and we were, so I raced 25 times last year and we are on race 12 and we were at Davenport and we'd been second, third, we'd been, you know, fluctuating the heat races, second, third, and fourth. And then the features, we were 10th, 11th, 12th. And we stayed, that's where we were consistently at. And it was the seventh race at Davenport. The car was good in hot laps and it was good in hot laps. So we went into the heat race and I was just tired of coming in and uh, my brother has been with me um, since day one going racing. Cause he wants to be there for the first feature win. So he's helped me out a ton and been there supporting me in, in what I'm doing. But I got in the car and I told myself I'm done making excuses. It's not the car's fault. It's not nobody else's fault. Just drive the car. If you wreck it, you wreck it. If you hit somebody else, you hit somebody else, just stop thinking and stop worrying about everything and drive the damn car. Uh, I started sixth. I took the lap, I took the lead on lap three. And when I took the lead, I put the door to somebody and moved them. And then I won by half a lap. And when I come across the start finish line, my aggressiveness being in the car, me looking for lines, me not worrying about being in the race car, racing and driving and being sideways and going through people, I wasn't worried about coming out on the other side. I wasn't worried about, you know, what I did before. I wasn't worried about how the car's going to react. All that went away. And I just worried about 
getting into the corner, getting through the middle of the corner, getting out of the corner. Not anything else. It was three steps, three motions that were, I'm getting in, I'm getting through, I'm getting off. The rest of the stuff I didn't care about. I didn't think about anymore. And once I did that and I got out of my own way and I just started letting the car work and I wasn't overdriving the car, I wasn't doing anything that I know not to, we started winning races and we started and we were fast. And when I came in, I knew something had happened (laughs) because my brother uh, met me in the pits as he always does. And he said, that is the first time I've seen old Scott in that car. That is the first time I've seen what I used to see 20 years ago. And it never left me because I stopped thinking. I stopped worrying about everything and overanalyzing and trying to fix everything before I just said, you know what? I'm going back to the way I was. I'm just going to be me. I'm just going to drive the car. And that's when it happened. I'm sorry. I'm shaking a little bit now because it was a, it was a cool moment because I didn't know if I was ever going to get back to that because we weren't good. I mean, I, I shouldn't say we weren't good. I wasn't what I was then. And I expect a lot of myself and I expect, you know, I expect me to get back there sooner than I want. Just like in recovery, as we talked the first time, I was a year sober and I was waiting for everybody to come back to me, say, great job. Everybody's forgiving you and balloons everywhere. And (laughs) it just doesn't happen that way. You've got to put the time in. And the biggest thing for me is stop telling people stuff. Stop telling people what you're doing. Stop telling people that I'm sober. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I'm doing this. They don't want to hear it because they've heard it before. Show them. Don't talk anymore. Show them. And once you show them and time goes on, you don't have to ask anybody to come back. You don't have to ask somebody to go out to dinner or whatever. They'll ask you because they'll see the improvement. They'll see what you're doing with your life. And you'll get more things not gifted to you, but more things offered to you and opportunities in front of you because you're done with the talking. You're done with blaming everybody. You're done with blaming the car or, you know, getting out of your own way and letting the car work for you. Let yourself work for other people and just stop getting in your, as you said, stop getting in your own way and just don't tell, don't talk as much about what you're going to do, show them what you're going to do. And it's, I found that it's a lot easier and I'm not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. I still make terrible mistakes. I still have character flaws, but I'm learning from them. And I try to be better every day, just like I don't drink. I don't do drugs. Every day is the same thing. I try to be better tomorrow than I was yesterday. You know, uh... I, and again, going back to the idea, and, and it's similar to to the to the arts, you know, regardless if it's you know theater and acting, if it's Kenzie playing basketball, you know, it, you know, she she can she can shoot you know a hundred free throws a day, right, and right. and no and and do it with her eyes closed and make every one of them with her eyes closed. But if she gets to that line in a showcase and she starts thinking that she has to make it there's a good possibility she's going to miss because she's thinking about what she doesn't want to do instead of just doing what her body already knows how to do. And, and when you talked about that, the, the decision of, of screw it, I'm just going to race. I'm just going to race. And I'm going to focus on, like you said, the, 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 
you know, the corner, right? And 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 right. and, and, it, and I, what I didn't hear you say now, maybe earlier in your career, right, twenty years ago, maybe it was uh, a, a reckless screw it with a with the help of influence you know what i mean you know <laughs> exactly you know that that may have that may have taken the edge off of the fear of something happening. right I, I imagine though there was a desire for acceptance and approval and validation back then too but it i think that's the hard thing that people who've experienced it when when you're trying to when you've so to speak climbed and and had some type of mountaintop of experience and then for whatever reasons you have fallen down and then you try to get back up again you now are there's an element of fighting against yourself of of the pressure of do i have what it takes anymore uh i don't want to make a mistake i don't and like you said the difference of doing this sober is that you feel everything right <laughs> so so yes so you're going to feel, you know, that fear and not wanting to make a mistake or trying too hard. Right. And, you know, golfers, when they try too hard. Right. That's when, you know, you know, they shank the ball. That's when that's, you know, and and I think that, again, is is metaphorical for life. And when you think and I know this is kind of on the spot, so if you don't have an answer, that's okay. But when you when you think of taking what happened in that twelfth race, right back in back in twenty three, and right. and then you go, okay, if that was a template for me to do life now, how would that how would that transition, regardless if it's with Elise or with Kenzie or or business or whatever, how would that tr- how do you think if you were able to put that into words, how might that translate into actual, actual day-to-day life? One step at a time. Take the first thing that's in front of you, deal with it, correct it, or finish it. Go to the second step. Don't go from one to three. Don't don't have 19 things that you're doing and you don't finish any of them, or you're not dealing with any of them. Your emotions, whether it's mentally, whether it's with you know, work, whether, whatever it is, your first, your first goal is to conquer getting into the corner. Okay. Get, do that, complete that, finish it, then move on to getting through the center. So life-wise, you know, if you start a project, finish it. If you are working on yourself and you haven't completed what you're trying to work on, don't try to fix something else that you're doing. Fix that first and then move on to getting off the corner which is the third step, which is basically you got a straightaway. So you're doing 110 miles an hour until you get into you go into the corner again. So one step at a time is the biggest thing and focus on, I'm going to get in, I'm going to get through and I'm going to get off. That's the biggest thing for me is dealing with as it comes to me, not as all at once or trying to deal with the whole corner instead of just breaking it up into sections that for me is huge. And if I could ask a huge favor of you, I would like you to repeat the part about Kenzie being at the free throw line. We are going through something right now that I think when she watches this, it's going to be huge for her because the girl has in a, she works her, she works her ass off and she is, she's talented as hell, but Practice-wise, she shoots the lights out. She does what she does. 
she gets nervous or I don't know if she gets anxious. I don't know what it is yet that we're, we're working on it, but could you repeat the thing about free throws and letting your body just do it and stop worrying about it? Cause that's going to be huge for her. <laughs> so, you know, I remember being told when I was competitive is how you practice is how you're going to play. And, and it's in the practice field that you make those, corrections and and using free throws as an example right so in that aspect of it there is no there's nothing interfering with her being able to make that shot in a practice arena so as she practices that the 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 basket height doesn't change the weight of the ball doesn't change the distance from the hoop doesn't change and as she practices that over and over again it goes into a muscle memory right and 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 her body knows exactly what to do if she doesn't think about it she just allows it to flow no different than if she was studying for a test if she puts the time into studying for the test right and 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 then gets out of the way at the time of the exam examination the answers will be retrieved and she'll be able to put down the correct answer if she's put the time in, you know, if, if inputted the information in. Similar to the free throw is that the muscle memory will know exactly what to do if the 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 Kenzie factor gets out of the way. The the Scott <laughs> fact the the Scott factor yes. gets out of the way because if 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 Kevin thinks he has to make the shot, then Kevin's in the way. Yes. If Kevin can't miss. Kevin's in the way. So that interferes with what my body, what my, what I've been, what I've already prepared and trained myself to do. Cause nothing else has changed. The distance between the hoop hasn't changed. The weight of the ball hasn't, nothing else has changed. It's just that I've now gotten in the way because of having to make it or can't miss or I'm tired or whatever bullshit I say to myself that gets in the way. Right. Usually that's yeah, usually it's, it's coming come, yeah. coming from dad, coming from dad, it gets old. But yeah. now that you've said it in a way better way than I ever have and let calmer, I thank you for that. Yeah. Well, and and honestly, Scott, when you were able to articulate, I mean, most people don't understand racing, right? You know, they the people don't understand racing. They just think it's a car going around the tree, you know. When you describe that races can be won and lost how you take the corner, what you do with the corner. Because you said, you said you break down the corner into three parts. What's the first part? Corner entry. So the entry. Yep. And and then handle the middle, the the middle and getting through the the middle, getting getting through the get corner entry, getting through the middle and then coming off the corner, coming off the corner. And and the reality, right, is they say that most things can be broken down into threes. And mm-hmm. and if you can break the entire race down into three, right? Or right. or or regardless if it's you know doing a particular job of plowing or salting or whatever, and then you know, repeat, then we probably can figure out a formula how to do a lot of things. Yes. And and that's and that's helped me huge. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and, and because the outcome is less, is less important than mastering 
the corner mm-hmm. because the outcome is going to be what the outcome is going to be. Right. You have no control over it. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. And the best part about, and I've, I've, I've tried to in my own way, figure this out, but getting in entry, uh, corner entry, getting through the middle and coming off. Once you get off the corner, whether you're on a half mile, three eighths mile, a quarter mile, you get a straightaway where you don't have to do nothing where you're all you're doing is you're flat to the, you're just on the loud pedal and you're flat to the floor and you're going as fast and as hard as you can. And then you do it all over again because you go through the quarter entry, you go through the center, you come off, then now you're on the back straightaway. So it is just, it is the coolest thing in the world that once you figure out corner entry, if your middle sucks, then you go back in and you're like, okay, we need to do this to the car, get your corner entry, get through the middle. Now we got to get off. Now, once we get off the corner, just like life, once we figure out what is troubling us to figure that out and to deal with that and to be able to move, to go to being back in a social life or being back with your parents or dealing with your children or getting your children back. For me, it's the straightaway. For you, it's sitting down in a movie with your kid or being able to see your wife again and spending time with, you know, loved ones, whatever. For me, I, it's helped me a ton just to be able to realize that it's not, everybody else can't be wrong. (laughs) You can't blame everybody for so long. Uh, Yeah. It's gotta be something that you have to deal with on your own and just, you know, you got all the time, you got time to fix it. It's not like, the problems are not going to go away if you don't deal with them. So the longer you go, the less you deal with it. It just gets, it compounds itself and it compounds itself and it gets worse. If you face it, look at it, figure out what the problem is. Nine times out of 10, it's going to be way easier and the outcome is going to be way better than you thought. Mm-hmm. Well, Scott, I, I, I appreciate you reaching out to me a couple of weeks ago and, and uh, our conversation. And um, I know, you know, we were talking about a handful of different things and we talked about getting you back on the show and, and, and sharing. And I think, you know, what you were able to share about, you know, what you learned about yourself and then practiced it and then put it into action. Um, I think that is key. You know, like you said, uh, our, our, Usually our biggest obstacles are lies within us. And once we can figure out that, that uh, what we need to focus on and what we need to uh, block out the distractions, um, you know, then we can have that level of uh, success. Now success isn't always that outcome. Success may be that, that we figured out how to be back in that flow, be back into that, that space where um, uh, you know, where we're we're able to feel feel like okay I'm 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 where I need to be and how I'm doing it the way I need to do it so Scott I right. want to I want to thank you again for for spending the spending your birthday uh morning with me and uh and 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 being able to uh share where you're at as a father where you're at as, as a man and um how you're attempting to do life now um on life's terms uh substance free but most importantly, trying to just uh, learn how to do life, life in recovery and life on life terms. So I, I appreciate well, it. If, if anybody, but, you know, 
go ahead. Look. No, you go ahead, sir. If if anyone wanted to reach out to you or or uh, get in contact, what would what would be the best way to reach out to? Uh, they can um, email me at s c o t t e l e m k e at yahoo.com or they can find me on Facebook and message me. I have a Lemke Racing D fifty five racing page, or I have Scott Lemke. Um, it's got me and my daughter big on it. Reach out to me on Facebook. Um, night or day, just reach out and messenger however they want to do it. I there's always somebody listening, and if you need something or if I can help in any way. I will definitely reach out and do that. Perfect. Well, Scott, I appreciate it again. Happy birthday. Uh, and keep on enjoying spending the time with uh, Elise and with, with Kenzie. And uh, we will be talking to you soon. Thank you, sir. I appreciate the time. Yeah. So if, uh, as we were just talking and Scott was sharing about, um, first and foremost, he knew that he had to make the choice uh, to do life uh, substance-free. And then over time, getting support, getting help uh, through through the 12 steps and starting to navigate how to do life on life's terms, um, more was revealed to him. And as different things happened, uh, he was able to experience life and be able to start challenging it and not making excuses and, and not holding himself back. Um, this isn't just Kevin and Scott's life. This is available for all of us. Um, but we do have to take a hard look at what we need to change um, in our life that may be barriers, as well as what things that we need to do um, to live that life um, on life's terms. As always, um, I appreciate you being here and uh, look forward to being with you next week.